Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Before you get to the show, make sure you check out theringer.com for our extensive NBA playoff coverage leading up to the NBA Finals. Also look out for a 2019 NBA Draft Guide, which now features 50 of Kevin O'Connor's scouting reports. The Draft Guide has a first-round mock draft, big board rankings from our draft experts like Jonathan Charks and Danny Chow, and much more to come leading up to the draft itself on June 20th. Once again, check out The Ringer's 2019 NBA Draft Guide and all of our NBA coverage over on TheRinger.com. Basketball is very good. Seth Curry is the best Curry. The Sixers should trade for Landry Shamet. The playoffs are better without LeBron. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I am Justin Varian. Joining me in studio is the one, the only, it's Chris Ryan. What's up, man? How are you? Back-to-back nights for us. Yeah, we're getting after it. We're, <laughs> you know, we're just, we're just cramming tape. We're just... In the studio, just doing doing the work. You know? Nighttime is the right time for you and I to to break down slob plays, mm-hmm. get those ATOs charted. I've always said that about us. Is that a funny bit that we do? Who are always laughing about that? <laughs> I think people on Twitter don't appreciate it. Really? I think. Well, I think there is a, a community of people that enjoy that thing, and they're all happy I, to be on the line. I, there's seven. so many different ways to love this game. <laughs> right. Ours is to, I don't know. I guess talk about uh, people getting traded. Let's talk about Brooke Lopez. Wow, that's a great transition. We're going to talk first about the Eastern Conference Finals Game 1. Uh, we're also going to get into Warriors Blazers going into Game 2 on Friday night. Talk about some lottery aftermath. We did a whole podcast yesterday about directly after the lottery, but there's been a few things to come out ever since then. Uh, and then uh, at the end, maybe do a little bit of coaching. Sure. Not coaching each other or coaching anyone else. Just talking about the coaching hot, the carousel. No, yeah, no, I have nothing bad to say about your coaching. That you're a very you're affirmative a coach. Life coaching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's start with the Bucks here. 108-100 in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals against uh, the Toronto Raptors. This game started out mm-hmm. looking a lot like game one between the Bucks and the Celtics. I think all of a sudden it seemed like Giannis couldn't get his way. The three-point shooters for the Bucks weren't hitting shots. And as soon as that happens, you start to wonder if the Bucks system that has been so successful this season was just maybe a little bit too rigid. Mm-hmm. I think part of that's just because of maybe the type of guys they have on the floor. They don't have a lot of blue chip prospects. Uh, I also think like the preseason expectations play in uh, still to this day where we expect them not to be this good. And so we kind of are silently waiting for them to maybe like be exposed. But as the game went on, those three-point shooters came alive. Brooke Lopez, Malcolm Brogdon had big games. And then all of a sudden, the Raptors were on the other end of this. I guess, let's start from the top here. For you, what was like maybe the big takeaway, not only in this game, but perhaps going into the next game? That it's going to be a rock fight. Um, that this is, for as much as... Uh, like Toronto likes to play in the half court, I think. I mean, they'd love to get out and run with Siakam, but for the most part, there's like a certain deliberate nature to their style of play, I find, uh, with a lot of stuff running through, whether it's Gasol in the high post or letting Kawhi play out on the wing and and kind of pick his spots. And then Milwaukee, obviously, really great transition team with Giannis, but loves just drive and kick and get those three-pointers. I just felt like regardless of how aesthetically pleasing they are capable of being, this is going to be like a really physical and and grimy series, I think. Yeah, I, I think from the jump, it seemed like everything that we had hoped the Raptors were going to be in the regular season really came to bear. I think last series, it ultimately became the Kawhi show. Yeah. And I think it became super disappointing when 
there was just not the type of guys around them that they spent so long kind of crafting this team and turning it into this perfect environment so they could make this run and make it worthwhile to to really put all their eggs in the quiet basket. Uh, that didn't happen against the Sixers. I think the Sixers did a good job uh, of pushing them into, into playing a certain way that they didn't want to play. But in this game, they looked super versatile. Uh, and I think the big takeaway coming from this one is that Kyle Lowry just played out of his mind. He had 30 points on 15 shots. And now on the one hand, it's great to see Kyle Lowry step up in a game one, mm-hmm. something we all know he does not do very often. Yeah. On the other hand, they had the perfect game one from Kyle Lowry, and they still couldn't get it done. I don't think this is over by any stretch of the imagination. I could see them stealing game two. I could see Lowry having a relatively consistent series. He's I, I feel like somewhat unfairly maligned. I know that uh, he's had some pretty big donuts when it matters, but... Uh, you know, for some reason, he's just been like kind of branded as like a postseason like total loser, and I think he bears the brunt of past Toronto failures solely, especially because DeRozan's not there anymore. It's just like he's this last vestige of getting steamrolled by LeBron Toronto. Uh, but I thought he was great tonight. Maybe he should injure his hands more often. It seems like it helped the three point shooting a lot. Sure. Uh, it is really interesting to see. Um, I mean, if you were listening to the broadcast, Reggie brought this up a lot that um, Kawhi's jumper in the second half, even though I think he had like 13 or 15 in the third quarter, his jumper started looking a little flat towards the end of the third quarter. And I think Nurse kept him in for most of the third quarter. This is after I think he played pretty much the entire game seven against Philly on Sunday. And that there, there was some fatigue. There was, and he, he was pretty much absent in the fourth quarter, which I think was pretty decisive for Toronto at the end of the day. Yeah, Kawhi, 42 minutes. Pascal Siakam, 42 minutes. Marcus Gasol, 40 minutes. Kyle Lowry, 40 minutes. They only played three guys off the bench. Mm-hmm. I mean, to a certain extent, this is what they are. I mean, they were on the flip 37 for Giannis, 35 for Middleton, 35 for Lopez, 30 for Bledsoe. So a little bit more even, plus they've been sitting around for a while. Yeah, and the Bucks, I think people were ready to criticize uh, Mike Budenholzer, especially after that game one loss. Maybe you play a lot, Giannis a little bit more. You have to break away from what you did in the regular season because in the postseason you have to make certain sacrifices that you weren't willing to do on a game-to-game basis in an 82-game regular season. Perhaps that's actually become an advantage now. Yeah. Not only are these guys not playing a lot of minutes, but they are going deeper into their bench. Certainly helps having a guy like Malcolm Brogdon mm-hmm. come off the bench and is perhaps like one of the best players on the court at certain times of this game. I, I would almost say it seemed like Nurse had a pretty good book on Giannis. Like he had a great game, 24 points, uh, goes 9 for 12 from the line, grabs 14 boards, 6 assists. I mean, that's MVP MVP caliber play. Yeah. But I did feel like they had a plan for him. They knew what they wanted to do, and it was a lot of doubling. And then in the doubling, there was some cheap tripling going on, and it was really forcing him to make a lot of under-pressure decisions in really uncomfortable places on the court. Do you think that's something that Bud can scheme out of, or is that just something that they're going to have to be like, we're going to win this series based on Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, and Lopez? Yeah, I think that's the way you have to scheme against the Bucs, because there are only so many things you could do against Giannis. And especially now that he's, when you were playing off of him, if you're doing what the Celtics tried to do and maybe wait for him to to kind of jam into the lane and get ahead of steam, mm-hmm. you force him to step back and kind of not only slow down his progress, but maybe have to take a three. Mm-hmm. Now he's not even hesitating before he, he's just letting them fly and he's letting them fly early. So you're thinking about it throughout the game. Uh, and you could definitely see that kind of have trickle down effects. The other part of it is if you give those three point shooters space, they have so many of these guys 
that they can almost pick and choose who to go with depending on who has the hot hand. It didn't seem like Nikola Mirotic had it going for a little bit. He, he kind of popped it later in the game. I think he had one big three, but he was one for six from three-point land. But then all of a sudden, some of these other guys, they're just, there's so many prolific and, and just excellent three-point shooters. Yeah that there's only so long that that can work for you. The kind of interesting theme of these playoffs is this, especially as the second round kind of went on, we saw a lot of teams complete, really shorten their rotations a lot and play six, seven guys. And Milwaukee indulged a little bit tonight. And they, they, it was a tight win, but they still played uh, nine guys, you know, and they played them a fair amount of minutes. You know, Connaughton even played 11 minutes tonight. So that kind of, uh, they can go searching for the hot hand. They think that that's one nice thing that they have if they, with this kind of depth. Whereas Nurse stuck with Van Vliet, Ibaka, and Powell. And Powell, I felt like, was he only played 10 minutes. And so it essentially was like a seven-person rotation for Nurse. Um, do you see anybody else on the Ra- Raptors bench that they could go to to help them out here? Or is it going to have to be the seven guys that they have? Because if they are, Gasol needs to be a lot better, right? I mean... They got better minutes out of Fred Van Vliet than they had been getting. Yeah, that's true. I just don't know he how much. With, well, he was one for four, yeah. but like he, he was scrappier than he had been in the past. Uh, even Norm Powell came alive, mm-hmm. which like he wasn't doing. I think they really only have like six guys that I feel super confident about. Yeah, this is just the OG. This is the Ananobi spot. Yeah, it would have been really interesting to see those two ty- those two teams match up if OG had still been there. Right, and that is a potential counter that they could have looked at going down the road here because it seems like the Bucks are set on regardless playing big. Mm-hmm. Like they started with Giannis, Lopez, and Miritich. And it seems like they're kind of set on being a little bit bigger in the front court because they have so much versatility. It doesn't really matter what type of bodies they throw out there, uh, especially because on the other side of the floor, it seems like if anyone off the bench is going to play a lot of minutes, it's Baca. And so you're, you're seeing some more Abaka, Gasol, Siakam lineups. Uh, I think the big thing, I think you kind of hit on it. Like the Raptors at this point need Pascal Siakam. I know he's young. Mm-hmm. He's 25. He looked shook in that game seven. He disappeared in game four. Popped up a little tonight. He played well at times, but then he would just disappear for stretches. On the other side, Chris Middleton is effectively the second best player. Well, not effectively. He is the second best player for the Bucks. Just did not have a good game. Went for six from three. Didn't really seem like he had a lot of effect on the game throughout. But they found other sources to get what he gives them. Yeah. And so the Bucks just have... I mean, it's, this is what we were talking about from the, from the start. It just seemed like the Bucks have a very clear, concise game plan. Whereas the Raptors are a much more versatile team. They can... Each play, individual player can do a lot of different things. But the Bucks system is so perfect. And it work it, it works so well in today's NBA. Yeah, and it works never so well game. at bringing out the best of Giannis. Yeah, yeah, and I I just feel like with them, they can um, withstand runs. Uh, so they can withstand being down twelve because they're really just four shots away from from you. If you're even if they're down twelve fifteen. Yeah. Um, it's been interesting to watch these playoffs because I f- I with anecdotally. I don't think that there's been like a ton of like crazy comebacks, but it does feel like down 17 is just pretty, it's like kind of comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, that, and even like in that Blazers Nuggets game, you were kind of like the, the game seven, you were like, man, they, Blazers don't feel out of this at all. Not with these shooters. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Bucks, um, with the, how the Bucks respond in game two. I wanted to ask you just like in a more broad way, it, it, it was kind of funny watching the Eastern Conference Finals without LeBron <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, we've been talking so much. We did a podcast last night after the lottery drawing about um, small markets, big markets, what the league needs, what the league wants, what the fans want, what local fans mean versus national fans. 
And I was curious how you felt about watching these two relatively ascendant teams from, I, I wouldn't say small markets, but non-traditional NBA markets mm-hmm. in this kind of spotlight and whether or not you felt like it was, it was, it was an entertaining. You don't think it's as entertaining to watch Brooke Lopez score 29 points? Oh, I'll be completely honest. Like <laughs> I was really, really ready for something else to happen in the Eastern Conference this year. So this is fine with me. I mean, despite the fact that I'm disappointed the Sixers aren't there, yeah. I, I was like, I'm like pretty excited about Giannis stamping his, getting a national, you know, a stamp on, on a, a huge playoff series like this. So it's pretty, it's pretty must-see TV. But I was curious what you felt about it, like aesthetically and also like, is it harder to kind of like feel around in the dark to say like, this is what this means mm-hmm. since it doesn't have some of the traditional players that we're used to? I think it's interesting because we are kind of, this is the start of something. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to to turn the page to something different. Yeah. We are figuring out Giannis. We're figuring out the Bucks, the Raptors. I don't know if this is going to carry on past this postseason, but they're a whole different entity, even from the trade deadline. Both teams yeah. added yeah, totally. key pieces at the deadline. So we're still trying to figure them out and like, where are they going to get exposed? And as we're seeing on the West Finals, which we'll get to later, it does feel like you're you're finding this the hole in the other team mm-hmm. and picking it apart. So that's that's always interesting. At the same time, like the matchup is good too. I think that helps. It's it was a very good basketball game, super competitive. It just doesn't have the same luster without LeBron. Yeah, it's weird. It's like I, I was watching. There was a point, and I think in the fourth quarter, it was pretty. It was like kind of a defensive dagger, but Middleton, I think, picked. Uh, Danny Green's pocket and he just like almost muscled the ball away from him like at the top of the key and it, it was he wound up getting down the other end of the court and dumping it off to Lopez for a dunk and I was like I think like six of the top 25 defensive players in the league are in this game right now like it, I, sure. it, it's Giannis Middleton uh you know, to, to your mileage may vary on Danny Green, but Siakam, Leonard, Gasol can still play front court defense. There's just like a bunch of guys out there who are incredibly good at stopping other t- people play. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since we've had like a purely defensive contest in the conference finals like this. As a a known East Coast native, uh huh. Do does this appeal to your sensibility of of rough and tough and I, I think it, it it makes it very hard nosed because like I yeah. I think it makes it really physical basketball because the all these possessions are being contested 35 feet away from the rim. So it's it's exciting to watch in that regard. Uh, you know, I think Portland, Golden State will probably be sexier, but, you know, I think this series is going to last a little longer. Mm-hmm. Well, I do want to talk about Brooke real quickly yeah, before sure. we turn the page to the yeah, West. Sure. What a game. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And, Amazing post-game interview. And one of the more high-energy, aggressive post-game inter- uh, interviews I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it, it just goes back to what we were talking about before about the system that the Bucks are running. I think if you're going to pick your poison on the Bucks lineup, you want Brooke Lopez to be that guy. I think going into this postseason, I think I had said many, many times that if the Bucks are going to be exposed, it's Brooke Lopez trying to garden space. It's having this just Goliath on the court in an era where everybody is turning small in particular, and like the Raptors with OG Ananobi on the court would have the ability to perhaps do something about that. Right. But here he is. Yeah. Coach Bud's like, okay. The most <laughs> the most important player on the floor. Yeah, 17 points in the second half, man. And someone said this, and I, I'll have to check it, but I think at least among the starting lineups, he might be the only lottery pick. No way. 
I'm going through the names now, and I think that's correct. Maybe, no, Bledsoe fell out of the lottery. Was Lowry out of the lottery? <laughs> yeah. Coming out of Nova? <laughs> yeah. Coming out of Cardinal Doc? I think he was in the 20s. Oh, man. It took him... That one's for you, Bobby. It took him two teams, uh-huh. I believe, before he like really caught on with, with the Raptors and, and solidified his career. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it's, it's so interesting because we're in an era of super teams, and all of a sudden we have two teams that have just built just completely non-traditionally... Uh, I don't know. As, as someone who has watched probably more Nets games in my life than I care to admit, yeah, being in Connecticut for so long, it's pretty wild still to this day to see Brooke Lopez, master of the post up and being the biggest guy in the court, and for some reason never getting rebounds out there on the perimeter and drilling threes. Like I don't know. And by that same token, it's like um, watching Gasol do it. It's like watching. Bambi's overweight uncle on ice. <laughs> you know, it's like the, what we're asking centers to do now. I think at one point during while we were watching the game, I made some sort of snide comment about like, it just feels like all of basketball now is is essentially driving kick like mm-hmm. in the playoffs and that these guys get like within three feet of a p- pretty clear layup and they just jump up in the air and twist around to hit the guy in the corner, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. But it was also just like a lot of the times the guy in the corner is... Not that good at shooting. And it was just watching Gasol just kind of be like, God damn it, I have to take this top of the key three again. <laughs> it's just, right. he's going to need to hit two more of those if they want to want to win these games. Yeah, it, it is funny because Gasol in particular, he's someone who, yeah, like it's great to see him in a winning situation, especially because he was kind of marooned in Memphis uh, for, for most of the season. He has become a specialist. Yeah. So it's like, I, I wrote this in one of these group posts that we wrote pretty recently on the website that it's almost like, it's on the one hand, it's great to see like a city dog play out his final years on a farm, <laughs> but on the be free, <laughs> yeah. But on the other hand, uh, it does feel like he's become very narrow when his entire career, like f- for a while, was one of the most bizarre, in a good way, versatile players. Uh-huh. This giant body who could just pass so nimbly and like. Zach Randolph was the, the kind of the pit bull and he was like kind of the almost like the chihuahua. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's just, it's interesting to watch some of these guys adapt to this new era. Yeah, I mean, out. I also, I mean, he's got a player option for next year. So whether or not Kawhi's there or not, I mean, maybe he would be at the point in his career where he's like, I'll opt out of that and go to sign with somebody who's closer to a ring. Yeah. But I think that Gasol seems like the kind of guy it would it'd be helpful if it was two years ago Gasol or three years ago Gasol, but specifically with him because so much of his offense is generating stuff out of the high post with passing that it would have been nice for him to get a couple more months with this group of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's wild to look at two for seven and just be like, man, that's the game right there, I think. How are you feeling about the Raptors? Right now, because we did see the Bucks. I, I believe they were they finished the game. <laughs> I don't think I'm allowed to say how I'm feeling about the Raptors. <laughs> well, uh, we could talk about the Sixers. Too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How am I feeling about the, how the Raptors look right now? Yeah, I mean, it, they hung in this game. I, I still feel like some of the advantages they showed early on in this game could potentially bear fruit again if, if perhaps Pascal Siakam hits a few more threes. Yeah, but back to your original point about this looked like Boston game one. Didn't it also seem like Boston game two within the fourth quarter or the like really the second half like that they made the proper adjustments and they got a couple of things to start going their way mm-hmm. um, and even just I don't I don't know how much of that seven how much that seven game series took out of the Raptors but you did see a couple of plays down the stretch of like Miritich out rebounding getting offensive boards which is a not 
it, which is not something you would expect to see unless guys were maybe feeling a little flat on their feet. Yeah. The one thing I did w- was encouraged about with the Raptors, instead of doing the Al Horford and walling Giannis off at the nail at the free throw line, it did seem like they're, the Raptors have so many athletes, have so many big bodies, uh, and they have so much length in the perimeter. It did feel like, if although Giannis had a good game statistically, 7 for 16 from the floor, mm-hmm. uh, and if you take out his threes, he was 7 for 13, or excuse me, 6 for 13. Uh, it did feel like that frustrated him. They were making an effort to crowd him in the paint. Yeah. And a guy who, as we've said... I just feel like he was always surrounded by three guys. Yeah. And so I do wonder if that's something that could carry on throughout the series. Uh, I don't know. I still think this is going to go six, at least. I don't think this is going to be a cakewalk. Yeah, I I can't imagine this is a five-gamer. Like, this feels like a split Milwaukee, split Toronto, and then fist fight. Yeah. But here we are after one game, and uh, through this point, the Bucks have only lost one game in the playoffs, mm-hmm. which is Warriors-esque. Hey, I mean, like, look, like at a certain point, it's like we're gonna have to start believing in them. Like, it's it's a sixty win team with the MVP. Those teams usually go to the finals, and often they win. You know, right? All right, let's flip to the West really quickly. Uh, I think on some of the other shows on the Ringer NBA feed, uh, they've talked about this game already. Yeah, they talked on the long two this morning <laughs> on Wednesday. <laughs> right, very inefficient podcast. Uh, but the Warriors did win one sixteen. 94 in game one. We want to talk specifically about these stories that are kind of... The game mutiny. Make, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Stotts mutiny. The Stotts mutiny. So the, the video clip that's kind of going around on the internet today is Terry Stotts taking umbrage with uh, one question from, I believe, Anthony Slater of yes. The Athletic. Which he then apologized for today. Oh, did he? Well, yeah. that, that was nice of him. Yeah, he said, I wanted to... Is Anthony Slater here? I wanted to apologize to him. Oh, what a nice guy, Terry yeah. Stotts. Uh, but he was... Slater basically classic asked, Stotts greasing the wheels, you know? <laughs> right? Not like Neil O'Shea, who is literally like just mean to the local media <laughs> to the point where it shows up in a lot of like Jonathan Quick stories on the Athletic. Uh, anyway, it, Slater asked him like, "Well, it seemed like the Rockets had some success trapping Curry." Yes, Stotts did not do that. Traditionally, the the Blazers' defense, which hasn't been good this entire season, is much more conservative. Uh, Jonathan Quick pointed this out in his recap the other day. They don't really double in the post. They don't trap. Mm-hmm. The bigs... And Sag, right? They, yeah, and they try to, to wall off the paint, essentially. Mm-hmm. They discourage the drive rather than kind of overplay. They're trying to force board. you into mid-range jumpers. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and Slater pointed out that the, the Rockets trapped mm-hmm. and had some success. Stotts, very bluntly... Was like, how many points did (laughs) Steph Curry score in the second half when they trapped him? Missing the point that he scored zero in the first half. So it did have success to some degree. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think the thing that caught our eye was in Quick's athletic recap, it seemed like some of the players... It didn't uh, seem like they (laughs) laid into Terry Stotts. Like, they may not have been like, I don't believe in what Coach is doing, but Evan Turner, Mo Harkless, and I think one or two other guys were like, that was crazy. We should have trapped him. <laughs> right. And Evan Turner actually said, I've been like basically <laughs> crying about this for three years since I got here. Yeah. The- that we should be changing things up on defense and being more aggressive. And in that piece, I think this is the same quick piece, they go into detail about how like David Vanderpool, they're, they're very they're acclaimed assistant and and Stotts and some of the other guys on that team come up with all these different um approaches for Lillard when he's getting 
more complicated or different defensive looks thrown at him mm-hmm. on offense. And then they come up with all these wrinkles, but that their defense is pretty vanilla and pretty like, we're just going to try and go straight up and let's see if we can get it. And right. basically what they were saying was like Denver, the first two rounds, like we knew we were better than the Thunder. We, we, were, we were hanging with Denver and they pissed us off and we got after it. But with this team, you can't afford to throw away a game because you weren't aggressive. Right. The direct Turner quote is, it's hard enough to get them to switch the pick and roll defense. That's speaking about the coaching staff. Yeah. That's something I've been questioning for three years. Right. <laughs> Which right. ET just like letting it fly. I know. But uh, look, this is a team that hasn't gotten very far in the playoffs throughout the Stotts administration, you know, for the most part. They're in rarefied air. These guys all recognize the opportunity they have with Durant out and Curry and Thompson, you know, being mildly banged up, if not explicitly banged up. And I think that they they can they think that they can hang with this team. And there was a point last night, I think they had it down to six, or they were pretty close in the, in the second half, and the Warriors just blew them out of the water. Now, throwing a double at Steph, I don't know if that changes anything, but this is, this is the most vulnerable Golden State's going to be in Portland's eyes, right? Right, yeah. Not having Kevin Durant is, is just, that's the golden opportunity for any team. Mm-hmm. I will say, I, I think two things are happening here. I think the Blazers are coming head on into a con- collision with like their future. It does seem like the guys that they're throwing out there, the Ennis Cantors, some of the Al Farouk Aminu's, a guy who's been there throughout since LaMarcus Aldridge yeah. left. He's been a key piece. He played well as kind of like a de facto five against the Pelicans in that series that they got blown out in. But all of a sudden, he's been awful. Yeah, you can't play him. Can't play, can't, can't play Aminu. Can't play Aminu. Can't play Cantor. And all of a sudden in the second half, they turned to Zach Collins, who I think he got roughed up a, a bunch, mm-hmm. especially in the first half. He was not particularly good. So it's, it's it's interesting to see so many people rally behind Collins, but he did play better in the second half. And he's the type of player that they need because the Warriors, regardless of not having Kevin Durant, they're still going to put a bunch of versatile like similar body type mm-hmm. players on the floor and they're going to force out all those guys that like don't fit that mold. That's like, that's just always going to happen. And Collins is the only one that is anywhere close to that. It's funny because in a lot of ways they're having similar issues that they had against Denver. Mm-hmm. Like I, Denver pretty much didn't guard Aminu and Harkless on the perimeter because they just aren't good enough three point shooters and they overloaded on Dame to stop those drives. That's happening again except the Warriors are just much better at it. It, it. It's just, you can go back and forth with Denver because Denver is also going to have flaws on the other side. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's... Wh- and also, Jamal Murray might go three for 17 one night. And right. Clay Thompson, I mean, he's had a tough playoffs, but you can't rely on Clay or Steph to do that. And I can see the Blazers players' frustrations because there are probably more of those holes there. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, the Blazers roster is so thin, especially at certain areas, they have gaping holes too, to the point where the Warriors bench, which should like you should be able to expose, those guys played freely to the point where Damian Jones, a guy who hasn't been in games for a while because he's hurt, got two minutes at the end there. And, Dude, Quinn Cook and Jordan Bell were out there. <laughs> right. And Fonzo McKinney. Yeah. These guys were there. And so it's just like a whole different like style of basketball yeah especially in contrast to what happened in the Warriors rocket series where they were essentially playing like seven guys each side and it was well if one guy couldn't like shoot that guy would just like have everything run at him the entire time yes whereas here it just feels like the Warriors are just this is a more of a regular season type of game 
where they could just do whatever the fuck they want yeah, because yeah. of the Warriors and yeah. Steph can pop off for 30 points. Clay could do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was interesting after one game, after the playoffs that they've had, which is in some ways like Portland's provided the most memorable moments of the playoffs so far with the quadruple overtime game, the game winner against the series ender against the Thunder and the quadruple overtime game against Denver. Uh, to see them kind of flip a little bit after you should probably lose the first game of a Western Conference Finals against Golden State in Oakland after a seven-game series. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> right. Like, try and steal one in Oakland if you guys are so, if you guys believe in each other so much. And maybe, the, I just think that they they hear Durant's footsteps. That's that's what must have freaked them out. Yeah. So we'll see if they can make any adjustments. I think right now, the adjustments are probably their only hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I think for them, they have to still think that they could do certain things in order to perhaps counter what the Warriors are doing. I think they will find out if not in four more games, then perhaps even three more games sure. that those don't exist. Yeah. So uh, I think that one's probably a wrap. I think they take one. Take one. I hope so. Yeah. Because otherwise we'll have a lot of free time before the NBA finals. A lot of Brooke Lopez talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. Let's jump back to yesterday uh, again with the lottery. We did an instant reaction podcast. And so it was kind of really interesting because Justin obviously has spent a lot of time in New Orleans, covered the Pelicans. Uh, So glad to have him here in Los Angeles. (laughs) Thanks. Um, but you were like sincerely excited. You know what I mean? I think obviously you have like a lot of like personal af- like affection for the city still. Sure. Yeah. And you were really excited. And then since the since the lottery last night to to, to now, it's pretty much been like taked to death. Mm. Where now we're at a point where even Mark Stein and others like really res- respectable journalists are teasing out the idea that Zion Williamson might be so disappointed, and these aren't Mark's words, we're just kind of like summing it up here, is so disappointed with his potential destination, New Orleans, that he might consider going back to Duke or sitting out a year or withdrawing his name for the draft. I don't think that is remotely possible. But I think it is worth having the conversation about whether or not I don't know what, what what is the conversation to have here. I mean, like, do well, you think that there's any fire to this smoke? I think the conversation is interesting considering how we like what we were talking about so often during the regular season. Yes. Which is star players trying to exert their power and to force their way into certain situations, kind of breaking free uh, of the power structure that has been in play for years and years and years. Right. Uh, I think it's particularly interesting considering that in a lot of ways, you can say that what people are suggesting Zion might possibly consider down the road was like the bad influence was Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you could you could see the one-to-one there. Uh, and there are a lot of ripple effects from there that we'll get to. But I think it's interesting because you can kind of, on your cork board, on your Kerry Matheson board, you can kind of put the lines together because, in particular because Zion doesn't have, have an agent. Sure. Which is a little weird at this point. He's the number one player in the draft. He probably, like most guys, are have settled on this way before. Probably they even that should be your take. College. What's the matter with Zion Williamson, and why doesn't he have an agent? <laughs> what are you scared of, Zion? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're kind of into that take. Yeah, I like it. I I just want someone who really competes. You yeah, know? yeah. Especially if, in the if Asian you're game. not willing to make a decision about your agent. How can I trust you during a game seven in Listen, the playoffs? Kobe had an agent. Yeah. Jordan 
had an agent. He sure did. <laughs> <laughs> so all that is to say that he is potentially eligible to still go back to Disney. This is like a two-sentence thing. The reason why we were having this conversation <laughs> is because New York and LA had a shot at him. Yeah. If this was Phoenix, the, if the final four or whatever were Phoenix, Memphis, uh, New Orleans, and Charlotte or something, we would not be having this conversation. I guess it is a little weird that we haven't heard from him since. Yeah. There's this, there's he this gave weird... this interview after the thing, yeah. after, after the lottery, and, they, and he was not like effusively psyched about going number one to New Orleans. Now, he may have just be thinking to himself, technically, I'm not supposed to be like, I'm obviously going to be drafted number one. I'm trying to be humble. He just said, I'm, it's, I'm nervous. And then it was like, well, now that you know it's going to be New Orleans, are you still nervous? And he was like, yes. And that was like a lot of chin scratching. And just, he hasn't come out and been like, I'm going to be psyched to play wherever I get picked. Right. John Morant pretty much did do that. You know what I mean? Like, and he wasn't even like that effusive about it. He was just like, I'm just, you know, I, wherever I get picked, I'm going to be excited to play. Right. You know? So I, that's the other thing at play here. It's It seems like in the absence of information, all we have is this one Mark Spears tweet, which suggests that perhaps Zion wouldn't be thrilled about going to New York. Yes, it was that he was whisked away, that he was hoping for New York or Atlanta. And so I do wonder if a lot of this is is just our confirmation of our own perceptions of New Orleans. We're also insane and we just think about this stuff too much and we talk about it too much and we tweet about it too much and we yeah. blog about it too much and we have to fill the empty void in our souls with speculation. Bobby, now, Bobby t- uh, slacked me just earlier and he said it's been 27 hours. <laughs> <laughs> which, I told you, no fact-checking on this podcast. <laughs> which, in blog time, is an eternity. Yeah, but like, look... This it speaks to the enormity of this guy's persona hitting the league that people are looking at this like uh, a big bang and that this is something that you know is going to change the course of the NBA and also especially the, the the fortunes of whatever franchise is lucky enough to draft him. And it weirdly got into a debate about whether or not New Orleans deserves him. And the thing that I thought was really interesting. You know that we were talking about during the Raptors game. Not even interesting. It was like obvious. It was what your point was like. Look, if this doesn't happen, you fold the league. Where like do it or or like break it up into the haves and have-nots. Then because if he decides to sit out or if he says I'm not going to report to New Orleans or if he goes back to Duke or if he goes to Italy, like then there's no reason for any of these teams who try to get better through the draft to to compete. Right. Yeah, I, on the one hand, it's a New Orleans issue. If New Orleans, if he says specifically, I do not want to go there, and let's be honest, New Orleans hasn't done a lot in the past couple of years under Del Demps to pretend like its reputation hasn't been tarnished. But wouldn't you want to but, play for the Pelicans 10 times out of 10 over Phoenix right now? Maybe not. I mean, I think players like Phoenix. I think I just don't think New Orleans is a destination for a lot of these guys. And I think for Zion, perhaps that's he's never been there. Chief on it. Yeah, he yeah. literally said that in that one interview. I've never been there, yeah. which I think is is probably big. Um, but yeah, I, I do think even though they have David Griffin in there, it does seem like they're willing to the ownership is willing to invest a little bit more. At least that's what they're saying. Uh, maybe they have turned the page, but. And the perception at large is that New Orleans is still just not all that attractive to go there. Mm-hmm. And if Zion were to pull an Eli Manning, a John Elway, I wonder if that franchise could ever recover. I just don't think that the league would allow it. I mean, I think that there's, I don't, I know that technically, like, we can get into whether or not he's signed an agent yet, but 
it would be such a disaster for the league and for their for their process of right. how they of how they distribute talent out of college right. or amateur basketball players. I mean, I think that's all bullshit too. By the way, like I think all these guys basically should be able to like get the most amount of money for their services that they possibly can. But if we're going to play by the rules, you got to stick to the rules. Right. So just because Zion and the idea that Zion would somehow be able to force his way to the Knicks or Lakers or the Hawks. It's just not going to happen. Adam Silver works for the owners. Right. One of those owners owns New Orleans. This isn't going to happen. And if you guys, if you guys think that like, oh, well, the New Orleans Pelicans are just a joke. Teams like San Antonio, teams like Memphis, teams like even Charlotte are like, well, we could be next. We could be the next team that a guy's like, I don't want to play for these guys. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that a lot of the comps that we've come up with are from other sports. Mm-hmm. Specifically football. There are some in baseball that, uh, that Michael Bauman wrote about for The Ringer yeah. today. Uh, the difference is in basketball, there are five to 10 guys that dictate the fate of the entire league. And this is why tanking is such a hot topic is because all of these teams realize that and they're all doing whatever they can in order to get those few guys. The only real path for a small market to do so is through the draft. And now there are certain small markets that have had some success getting guys to come down there. I mean, Paul George stayed in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, Greg Monroe went to the Bucks. It might sound ludicrous now, but he was, he was like coveted, yeah. a coveted free agent. LaMarcus Aldridge went to the Spurs. These are all more B-level guys, but yeah. still, uh, there are recourses there, and it, I will say that it helps a lot to have a well-run franchise. First sure, and absolutely. But for a lot of them, in order to keep them, you have to get them through the draft and you have to have them under control for not only one contract, but the team control for the second contract. Absolutely. And so if that is no longer in place, you have all of middle America being like, what the fuck? This is entirely brutal. Yeah, and what's the point of buying season tickets? What's the point of, of paying any kind of like extra fee on my cable bill for my sports package so that I get my, my regional sports network or something? I mean, like, there's a... The, you you can't have that happen. And, and I... I, I think that that's probably something that the league has sat back a little bit, I think allowed San Antonio to play the Kawhi situation the way they felt they needed to play it. So whether you're on team he was hurt or team he thought he was hurt, but decided what he really wanted to do is not play until he got his way and got out of there, it doesn't matter. They let San Antonio handle it. Um, you know, the Davis situation in the second half of last season pretty much cost Del Demps his job but was like kind of a joke. You know, the way everything from we're going to play him 10 minutes a night to the that's all folks t-shirt at the end of it to whatever is going on now. And Griffin's been brought in to essentially write the ship. But I, I find just even the the conversation about this, while fever dreamy, to be hypothetically fascinating because of the confrontation it causes between the league the teams and the players. Yeah. And as, as hypothetical as this conversation is, I think two things to point out are with the Anthony Davis situation in particular, Adam Silver stepped in. He said, you guys have to play them. Yeah. So there is precedent for the league getting involved in certain ways Mm -hmm. that normally like you wouldn't, I don't know how he would. And they obviously seem to have, I mean like the league has a League very recently was owning owned New Orleans, so they have like a vested interest in New Orleans. They've propped that franchise up before, so right. And in previous CBA negotiations, after the big three formed in Miami, that they put 
stipulations, all these super masks sort of things in place specifically so small markets would have opportunities yeah. to keep their guys. These these fifth years on the contract, the more money. Now, they have not worked one bit, but it is to say that guys like Dan Gilbert get into those rooms and they are advocating for better like conditions for some of these small markets. Yeah. So it's funny. I, I mean, I think there's just a lot of momentum heading into whenever the next CBA negotiation is for things to change in drastic ways. Yeah. I mean, especially if you start seeing the, if the age limit drops, so Zion doesn't have to go to school. In the first, by the way, <laughs> I, I'm so into in February or January, whenever that happened with the shoe, everybody's like, put cryogenically freeze this guy until draft night. I never want to see him step foot in Cameron indoor ever again. <laughs> the sham sport. And now, because New Orleans won the fucking lottery, everybody's yeah. just like, go back to Duke. <laughs> right. If he was real, a real one, you'd go back to Duke. He loved Duke, by the way, <laughs> as do I. I love college basketball. It's right. like, pick a fucking side. Who cares? Right. Go play in New Orleans for four years. Well, let's, let me ask you this. New Orleans, second of all, amazing city. <laughs> it's a great city, but not a great basketball city. Okay. And uh, change great. that. And as I, I can attest... Change that. There were crickets in Cleveland before LeBron got there. Change it. Yeah, but LeBron is what such was a... was Cavs basketball? Craig Elo? Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know that he was from Cleveland, but like th- this is exactly what we were talking about last night where it was like, you don't have to be from New Orleans to care about the Pelicans. Listen, man, have you ever seen Mark Price shoot a free throw? That's legendary. They, and the elbow was so tight. It's inside. so tight. It was so... It was an L shape. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying people are going to buy a league pass to watch every Pelicans game next year. <sighs> Like change New Orleans basketball then, maybe yeah. And if you're and if you're Gail Benson and you're serious about like you want to fill the place, like sell a bunch of five dollar tickets, make that place into a cauldron. I think it's so interesting that we give away tickets for free on Bourbon Street. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. That's not a good idea. <laughs> I, I, I think it can work. I just maybe I just have PTSD from my own experience of going down there and seeing Anthony Davis just not catch on in large part yeah, because he wasn't a celebrity. He like the team did not do well. Like it's funny how, I don't know if it's, we're reverting back to like the old way of doing things that like the big media markets actually dictate how much we care about these people mm-hmm. because there's so much coverage in them. Or if there are ways for guys to thrive in Oklahoma city, some of these other markets on the one hand, I think that latter point is true. On the other hand, the Lakers and some of these other big markets are always on national TV, even though their teams are bad. The Lakers were always on national team even before they got LeBron. Yeah. So there are these things in place here where the big markets do matter more, and it does feel like Zion is diminished in a lot of ways because he is going to New Orleans. I think that's what's driving this. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think, yeah. I, I just think that the idea that Zion going to New Orleans is bad for the league is only bad for the league in the face of the possibility of him going to Los Angeles or New York. If it had been a choice between New Orleans, Memphis, and Phoenix, I just don't feel like it matters that much. So it's just the taste that he could have been at the Garden or the taste that he could have been on the Lakers that we're going, we're losing it about. And it, like the take factory, I think we're at, regular hours right now had the Lakers landed Zion the double shifts the time and a half we would be paying the takers would have been crazy Mm -hmm. if the Lakers had somehow won the lottery I love chaos I wanted that 
This is this is what we do. We're sitting here and we're we're talking about all the. I think it's chaotic to send him to New Orleans. I think that's awesome. I think that's crazy. Send the best player to hit the pros since Anthony Davis to the team that 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 is basically on one leg. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm into it. I, let's let's see it. It doesn't make a difference to me if he plays in Memphis, Atlanta, or New Orleans. Like, what are we asking Zion to be here? He's not going to give like a TED talk. Like, he's not running for president. He's a basketball player. I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm I'm engaged with him. I'm engaged with him. I'm engaged with Giannis. I'm engaged with. I'm not engaged with Colin Sexton. It's not a big deal. Like, if Colin Sexton gets really good in the next five years, I'll be engaged with him. But I think that like the I, what he can possibly do for a franchise. I, if he is what he's, if everybody says he is, it shouldn't be that big of a deal for him to be playing in New Orleans. Drew Brees plays in New Orleans. He's in Pepsi commercials. Well, football's different. I guess so. Do you drink Pepsi or Coke? I don't drink soda. Wow. Yeah, I just drink carbonated water. <laughs> I was never a soda kid. You? I used to love root beer. <laughs> classic. <laughs> <laughs> classic take from you. Yeah, can't do it anymore. All right, do you want to talk about Brett Brown real quick? You've avoided talking about the Sixers. Yeah, since you want to talk about, well... So the whole second half of this podcast has been about chaos. You love chaos. Yeah, chaos is a ladder. Uh, You know about that show? I think Game of Thrones. That's yeah. Is that what that is? (laughs) I think it would be. I think it would be ridiculously stupid for them to have fired Brett Brown. I think that saying Brett Brown somehow failed to live up to expectations because Kawhi Leonard hit the craziest game winner I've ever seen, and I've you know Christian Leitner included. Okay. It would be wild. Yeah. I mean, that would be, and I, I think it doesn't matter that all those guys came out, all the players in the Sixers came out afterwards and were like, I love him. It, I, you know, I, I can't say enough about him. You should be the coach here for a long time. It doesn't matter that they've essentially tied their franchises feature to Embiid and Embiid loves Brett. I, I think that like we're incredibly hard on coaches for the amount that we understand what they do. And I think that sometimes we just, decide to like lay into certain coaches like Brett and not guys like Brad who got just got rocked by Milwaukee in the in the first round second round second round second round <laughs> whatever <laughs> fuck, fuck Boston <laughs> no I, I I mean what is the, the the difference between what Brett Brown just did and what Brad Stevens just did why are we like Brett Brown you're on you're on life support because you won 50 games twice in, in two seasons consecutive seasons. You got your team within four bounces of going to overtime in game seven of the semifinals. But Brad Stevens, who had a team fucking quit on him twice, like in the middle of the season, you're golden. You're still like, you're Beto. You're great. <laughs> Beto. <laughs> or whatever. Well, I would say that Brad Stevens brought the Celtics to one game of the NBA Finals last year. I think that's the big difference. He beat he was Brett never going to beat LeBron. But he came really close without I, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> now, I, I do think he is taking some heat, and he himself stepped out there and said, like, yeah, I didn't do a good uh-huh. job this year. I don't mean to make this, like, anti-Boston propaganda, although Bill's well, been incredibly hard on Philadelphia over the last couple of days, and I think he's still mad about the Super Bowl. I was really more mm. just saying that I find it weird that what does Brett Brown have to do with a team that he's basically had together for 25 games? I, I, I don't know. And yeah. I also just don't understand, like, show me the coach who's better than Brett Brown who's just sitting there waiting. And I actually did think for a minute there, oh, this is why Ty Lue didn't take the Sixers shot or didn't take the Lakers shot. It's because the Sixers are about to offer him a five-year deal. Hmm. And that they think that Ty Lue, who's won a finals and is a player's coach and is going to 
be an XO god over there with the whiteboard is going to come in and take this team to the next level. Yeah. I, it, you could have made that argument, but that's the kind of argument you need to make. You can't come to me and be like Vanderpool or some other guy off the Spurs bench or right. w- whatever retread you're thinking of. It can't be that because like Brett's actually been good. Yeah. I can't distinguish between Brett Brown and what Ty Lue does. Uh, like perhaps Brown or Lou is just is brilliant in a certain way. Yeah. And that certain way will be the specific difference that this Sixers team needs to break through. Sure. On the other hand, I have always looked at the roster and just seen just all these flaws throughout. And I'm most worried about Elton Brand, a first time GM mortgaging the entire future and somehow in the process. Yes. Not really. No pun intended. No, no, I'm, I'm, this yeah. is where you're actually getting into my pain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just, if you're saying this is the year that we're putting all the eggs in the basket, why not get like one bench guy? I'm not blaming the car because the salesman was bad though. I like the car. You're into these car metaphors. I am. <laughs> but I'm not mad at, I'm not mad at what the Sixers are because Elton and Brett and Josh Harris tried to jack people up with like, it's this year we're going in. And you know what? They were right to. Yeah. Why not? You know, like why? Like well, because it didn't work, and it's like I'm not even saying they caught a bad beat. Like the team itself was going to stall out eventually. Mm-hmm. They were not going to get to the finals. I'm sorry. Like I, I don't think that was even in the realm of possibility. So that's an interesting take. I think that I, th- <laughs> I, they, I, I hear think you. That they, I hear you, but you're wrong. I, I, I mean, this was not like a. Th- I felt like this was like let's say Embiid is healthy for that entire Toronto series. You think they still lose to them? Let's see, Embiid does not catch whatever he caught during the course of that series, and he plays all those all those games. Do you don't think they maybe win that Sunday, get that game four in Philly? I think it's possible. I, my counter would be that Embiid has had enough of an injury or whatever history that sure. something would have come up eventually. Sure. I agree with you that there's some roster complications. I, it, it's going to be a different team next year. It will be Butler or Harris, and I don't think JJ comes back. And I think if, if Harris leaves, that Shamit, trade is a catastrophe to me mm-hmm. because I'm not like like Landry Shamit is irreplaceable but you had the Landry Shamit you don't have to go look for him now yeah and we're, we're having conversations now where it's like should they trade for Shamit back like one of <laughs> one of my pet projects who who is having conversations well I was me and Danny Chow were talking today and I guess at some point I incepted this take into my brain as if it were my own and Danny had to remind me that apparently this is originally a James Herbert take of CBS Sports so Danny loves just letting you know <laughs> that it, your take isn't your own right yeah that so like, I'll always this, be like have you ever noticed <laughs> the Rockets all right man and and bear with me here right it's all threes and layups. Right. And he's just like, Chark said that in 2017. <laughs> right. Hardwood paroxysm wrote that in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> no. Man, but this pod gets so good at like 850. <laughs> it's funny. The ends are really where we thrive. Um, no. I, we were talking about whether or not you should trade Ben Simmons for SGA and Shaman. Just to be explicitly clear for the listeners, I was not having that conversation. <laughs> Danny and Justin were. Okay, but now we are having that conversation. I think it actually works for both no, parties. No, It's to the point where I, I'm actually a, a Ben Simmons optimist. Yes. I will be on that island. I just think he's 
He needs You're to have a- to pay taxes to me because it is my island. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I pay for, for hotels and motels. Um, what is it? Houses in Monopoly? Houses in, in hotels? Uh, yeah. You, you buy all sorts of stuff on you. You, you, build, you build a hotel. Yeah, you build hotels. Okay. Yeah. Um, glad we cleared that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm at the point where I think he's completely underrated. I think you put him in the right situation. I just think that he is this transformative next LeBron light type. Uh, but I think in the playoffs, he needs you need to fill him out with the right guys. You need to surround him with guys. He has who, to have some kind of honesty making jumper, something. Right. Something. It, I don't care if it's 32%. I don't care if it looks like he's in seventh grade when he shoots it. It's just got to happen. It's got, it actually is worse for him to not shoot and miss. It's worse for him to not shoot than it is for him to shoot and miss. Right. Which, with SGA, clearly does not have the ceiling of Ben Simmons as this just wrecking ball in transition. But he is a guy who I think won't have as many holes. I think he will develop a good jump shot. Uh, I think he's already a pretty heady point guard. I think he's a really good defender. Here's how they can find out whether or not they should do that trade. They call Jerry West, and if he wants to do the trade, you say, never mind. Do you think Jerry West would say never mind? No, I think Jerry West was like put in Shamit and Elton Brown was like, sure, whatever. And now yeah. it's like, ah, oh, Christ. Also, so if Jerry West if is Jerry... like, absolutely, I'll take Ben Simmons. Do we know if Jerry West is even awake? At I just the like saying, Jer- like, I like the idea that Jerry West was like, reared his head yeah. from his like castle on in Bel Air and was like, bring me Shamit! <laughs> And then went back to sleep. And then Winger or Doc or Lawrence was like, like, okay, we gotta go to Shannon. Yeah. I just remember like when I first got back out to LA, the story I heard that he didn't know who Dario Sarge was. <laughs> Honestly, does it seem like it's really, it hasn't really affected him that much. It has not. As uh, a guy with a Dario Sarge t-shirt, yeah. I can just say, well, it seems like Jerry West is doing fine without him. That's vintage now. The kids love that. Oh God. All right, anything else, Chris? No, that's it. <laughs> okay. I don't want to talk about John Beeline's offense. Do you? <laughs> Do you know if it's a 1-3-1 one, one flat? No, I don't think we're qualified, honestly. <laughs> I can't wait to see him scheme up some plays in Cleveland. Maybe Zion can go back to Michigan. It leaves the NBA mm-hmm. and transfers to Michigan. Transfers to Michigan. He takes that year off. Yeah. He actually waits until his junior year. Yeah, and then he's coach player at Michigan. <laughs> right. It's a, all of a tribute to John Beeline. All right. Okay. That's the Ringer NBA show for Chris. For Bobby, I'm Justin. We will see you next week. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.